Hi everybody and welcome to Dublin Tech Talks. It's Gavin Fox here. On the podcast today, we have Mark Swain, who also goes by the UX guy. Uh, he is uh, the co-founder of the UXinstitute.com and works with uh, Elstone Fund um, VCs. On the episode today, we, we get really into UX research, uh, why startups should look at um, investing in their UX early doors, um, why that might be a hindrance to some legacy businesses and um, maybe some big, bigger organizations that get to UX a bit late, uh, the power of UX and, and research and, and why it's so important in businesses. Um, Mark's a great guy, super knowledgeable about UX, and we hope you really enjoy um, this podcast. Again, we'd like to thank our partners, WorkHuman and uh, Marissa Meyer, for allowing us to have the pod. Uh, hope you enjoy. Thanks. Mark Swain, the UX guy, welcome to Dublin Tech Talks. Thanks. Thanks for having so me, Gavin. You're founder of the UXinstitute.com, head of product for Elkstone, and a pretty good US consultant by by all uh, by all constraints uh, yeah I've been going quite a while in the business put it that way uh, so, starting to feel it yeah <laughs> so how'd you get into UX like was it um, so I was having a look at your profile it seems to be something you've been passionate about since since day dot so is, yeah. it, is it something that you thought when you left started this would be your career forever or how did you kind of get into the into the space Jeez, uh, I've done so much in the past, so how will I build it up quickly? Um, I got into UX in the early days uh, in website design, typical yeah. back as far as leaving college back then when Flash was actually a thing. <laughs> good old um, HTML. And after that, good old HTML and Dreamweaver and all that stuff. And post that, you know, working with web design agencies in my very early career, doing lots of big projects, actually. Yeah. Consulting projects for the likes of Diageo, Perna Ricard. They were bringing me in to build big interactive experiences for their brands across Europe and different. I had some amazing projects and jobs given I was such a junior, but I was so passionate about it. And I was so deep in design. I come from pr probably quite a creative background. I play a lot of guitar, grew up on guitar and art and design yeah. and all that stuff. I was naturally going to segue into uh, either music college or design college. Yeah. One or the other. I got into London School of Music oh, wow. uh, to do guitar and singing. Uh, I chose to take the design route. There might be a safer career. There's no, there's no career in music. <laughs> <laughs> so I picked that and moved on and um, and went to college, design college, went out of that, started in web agencies, worked my way up when we get to the launch of the iPhone 2007, yeah. eight time, started uh, up to then, been building and designing a gazillion websites from UX, trying to drive research in UX with brands like Fuji and even Lily O'Brien's chocolates at the time, maybe, okay, yeah. right back then when they were And was, there, was there demand for it then or was it there just was, something that you There was felt? demand and understanding for good UI and yeah. clean design. There was not demand for customer-driven research yeah. to drive experiences. No. Uh, that was an education piece that I, over time, started to hammer in home. The more I got mm. better and educated at it and qu querying why I was designing what I'm designing. Yeah. Who have we spoken to? Is this even correct? What the hell am I doing? Um, so up until then, iPhone time started into loads of native apps, iOS, Android, all yeah. that stuff kicked off design and built a gazillion of those as I went on through the years. Got really bored in Ireland, <laughs> to be honest, in terms of um, opportunities. You know, SaaS companies weren't bubbling up at that time, right? Yeah. It was only 2012, 13 onwards. So uh, myself, my wife headed off to Toronto okay. and uh, worked over there with some of the grandfather banks, worked with startups, uh, developing new products. Oh, God, I was even... 
I was designing and building out um, Microsoft tablet and phone banking apps for RBC Bank, leading okay, projects right, yeah. like that. You know, 26% of the Canadian population were on yeah. Windows devices. I was trying to make some of the key workflows for the likes of Interac, who are the main money transfer platform that sit under the top five grandfather banks, uh, conform to a BlackBerry 320 by 240 screen Which? with a trackball. <laughs> Back <What's> then, <laughs> Canadians still trying to send yeah. money on a BlackBerry, figuring out tons of experiences. Toronto was amazing for the business experience. Traveled all around the US, New York, working in Houston, San Fran, Chicago mm. was amazing for a few years. Um, on purpose, got international experience, yeah. broadened the mind, hugely important. Uh, came I'm back only, to Ireland. I'm only back from San Francisco a week. The difference in the buzz over there, it's, yeah. it's incredible. Uh, yeah, yeah. Even, it's, even though it's half empty, yeah, it, yeah, we yeah. were at a Sastar conference and it was just everybody is so passionate about what they do, what they're doing, and what everybody yeah. talked about being customer obsessed. Yeah. Like it was the mantra for the week. It's everybody, if you're, if you're not customer obsessed, it's a different what buzz. Are you doing? It's a different feel. Yeah, yeah no. Um, Absolutely. So then I uh, was back home in 2015 onwards and I started out working with startups and I started mentoring startups and scale-ups in product and UX mm. and it just organically grew and bubbled up from there without any real effort. My side, um, I, I was suddenly intertwined with multiple startups. I'm still involved with startups that I started partnering with back in 2015-16 yeah. and they're still, we're still figuring out client experiences and user experiences in their SaaS platforms that have scaled, got funding yeah. and grown and they're still trying to figure stuff out. They're still trying to embed design deeper, UX research deeper to drive experiences and scale because today UX is one of the key differentiators. Yeah in selecting what platform a client is going to spend money on. Another subscription to the bell for the CFO, yeah. more money to spend on more platforms. My team needs it. There's five of them out there doing the same thing. SaaS is saturated, right? Yeah. Ver verticals are just destroyed with optionality, right? So all doing the same thing, same dashboard, same everything. It's gotten extremely boring. Uh, but at the same time, um, good designs become easier for platforms to scale up that way and get good. Uh, but still, startup teams don't get starting out with design at the start at the table is the right way forward to avoid the pain later. Yeah. Uh, which has been verbatim the, the um, uh, my business has been built on the pain of startups not realizing design because that's where all my project and consulting work has come from since 2015 right up to the past few years. It, it's interesting you say that because hearing that I'd, I'd always say the opposite of like startups are always going to be great at the design aspect and thinking of the customer first no while you're saying it's just get MVP out and then figure out the design aspects after. yeah and sometimes you know that's okay I can be biased of course coming from a UX lens research yeah. lens and design lens of course but even if the considerations are bled in better at the start, at the table with, you know it's typically technical founders fine amazing um, get involved but they're not always design-led or UX or CX-led in terms of end-to-end -end journeys yeah. and how it's going to play out. And what. Some of these startups I've mentored and worked with for over the past good few years have never done even one single bit of usability testing on a screen. Okay, and I'm yeah. hammering yeah. this communication at them the whole time. Get the workflows right at the start, avoid the scalability pains later, yada, yada, yada. So if you're... We'll get into this right now. So if, you're, if yeah. you were sitting... I'm, I'm thinking of a, a new product what should I be going for design first mentality? Because I, he I hear that a lot and you go, yeah. it's a, you, you know, that customer obsessed, be design focused. What, you know, what is... Well, whatever problem they're trying to solve or build on, 
Um, look, there's probably already five platforms doing yeah. it to some degree, to some level, and they're coming at a different angle. They've got to figure out that angle. It's easy to get lost in the trenches in research. You know, if you're going to develop, if a founder's going to develop a partner program, I'm going to work with five, seven of these customer types. I'm mm. going to buddy up with them. They're going to build my platform for me, which is how it should be. Um, it's easy to get lost in there and get stuck in bias and approaches in terms of large scale corporates right down to mm. midsize uh, in terms of who's going to drive direction of the experience of the platform, the problem that's yeah. been solved that they need. Okay, but in there regardless of the priority list that falls out of that research, if there's 10 key points, you know, for MVP, typically you're going to focus on three or four of them that we know are the right ones outcome-wise to scale and to further the product so that what we're doing right now is not throwaway, we can build off it. Um, But in there comes design, where design isn't always considered, the UX is not considered. It has become so easy today, much quicker and easier for startups to scale off their design, but they're not doing it. Uh, because maybe of lack of education, understanding with the founders, perhaps. Um, And also, you know, whatever designer or consultant they might bring in at the start, baseline things get right. Understand what is the two or three key features we're focusing on, what are the end-to-end journeys, map them out, understand the key screens. There's going to be 10 error states and rescue paths off that journey. Let's do them later. Understood, fine. But in there, in the nest, is uh, getting some of those key journeys right. Look, if a dashboard's been designed, it's done a million times at this stage in SaaS. Yeah. It's overboring at this stage in terms of I could literally be blindfolded, logging up, signing up to another SaaS platform, doing the same thing. I can probably point out with a blindfold what the dashboard looks like. We've gotten to that point yeah. in design, okay? So in there lies the opportunity for startups to differentiate, be better, drive better education, better onboarding bring customers through some sort of deep related personalized experience that's much more of a micro slim experience more personalized to their need to get set up and running in the platform quicker which is what a lot of SaaS platforms kind of fall and fail to do what what would be the the wrong thing to do would that be you know not having them kind of plug in sign up making it more difficult to sign up to your product is it the checkout period what what would be the kind of the basics well if you can imagine if a if it's a fintech firm they're signing up to a new platform to automate expenses whatever it might be they want a workflow presented to them immediately for their exact need which is i need to upload a spreadsheet with a load of data i need to see it in the ui and i need to click a button to automate it or send it through to wherever it needs to go to for the overall account just an example but it's something like that show me the workflow show me how easy it is to integrate upload my data um, in literally two steps and that's it. They speed, people don't yeah. have time, etc. yada, yada. They are doing a million other things in their jobs. And that's how personalized and slim the experiences need to get down to for actual personas coming into SaaS, new platforms. As I said, platforms are everywhere. We can do a search in Google and find five alternatives and we can try them out. But design is one of the winning aspects. Experience is one of the winning aspects. UX is one of the key differentiators. Yeah. Now. And I've seen this with some startups over the years where they are losing deals sometimes big to some clients who are not agreeing to go forward in adopting the platform because they get direct feedback that your usability and your user experience is shit compared to the competitors we benchmarked we're not going with you deal lost and that is a conversation that's happening regularly 100% I, I, I hate using products that frustrate me after a couple of minutes yeah if I'm not going to use them and I get frustrated the people that you're buying them for are going to get frustrated and move on. Yeah. And so jumping into a dashboard, the usual kind of ghost town scenario, where do I start? 
what am I supposed to do first? How do I get value out of this tool? How am I going to expand in this platform? How am I going to integrate my 10 other layers of my mm. business in here so I'm operational here in five minutes? Show me how I want to get set up and running. I need to understand this. Give me simple language, dumb down content, slim yep. um, education and guide me. Well, nobody wants, I know, I've, I can't remember the last time I read a, a manual. I've bought a product yeah. I don't open the box yeah. and went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, no one fixed this. I'll, I'll try and fix it myself, or I'll go on YouTube and try and figure that or out. Or TFM. Yeah, yeah. And I do that with product a lot. So if okay. I if I'm using something, if I if if I can't figure it out, yeah, it's probably too. I I like yeah. if if I can't see it visually on the screen when I've yeah. done it, it's it's probably going to be too. I'll, yeah. I'll move on to the next. That like five second scroll, ten second scroll thing. Yeah. So we educate ourselves a lot more. So I'm guessing that is driving. The, the, that user dashboard experience but also people understanding who their customers are in, the, in, Completely in that as well. In the background if it's split out you know from Enterprise Eddie down to self-serve Susan mm. Enterprise is a bigger solution uh, which needs way more hold handing salespeople involved probably mm. bigger architecture or, or implementation involved to get it up and running in the org um, totally understand that but it should be a well educated and well communicated experience yeah. so is that you're not jumping into like some of the I won't name brands but bigger brand platforms you're jumping yeah. in where support comes back two weeks later and you're sitting there oh, I can't get my fucking org started here yeah. what's the deal uh, how do I even get started which is unfortunately still a quite a common experience and, and is that you look at the big tech not big tech but like legacy businesses we'll yeah. take banks as your yeah, 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 your, yeah. your, your yeah. atypical want to try and make a good customer experience yeah <laughs> sure yeah so some of them do it okay some of the challenger banks probably do it a lot better sure and, and their apps are a lot better and stuff and we look at you know the two in Ireland versus you know say yeah. Revolut or N24 whatever uh -huh. and what is is it, is it a, a legacy restriction would you say say on bigger organisations versus these startups Completely. or is it just a, a, a capability thing would you say it's all of that combined it's if I look at some of my experience with some of the northern American banks um how they tend and have tried to do it. And sometimes, well, if I look at Waterloo, <clears throat> you know, TD Bank have an innovation lab out there yeah. where an innovation team of product people like me and developers and whoever else sit out trying to invent the future and drip feed back in concepts ideation to headquarters yeah. in Toronto City, if you want to use that as an example, whereby, hey, we think this can work. Let's drip feed this into the roadmap. So plug and play kind of stuff out here and. Uh, in the innovation lab to run faster <clears throat> if that team is trapped in a bank they're caught down in lack of accountability responsibility mm. um, sign off yada 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 red tape everywhere paying people leave because and, they can't get and that's the biggest done. restriction you would say is as any large company that is looking to innovate and make better customer experiences it's just that inability to kind of execute that innovation isn't yeah it? at speed at yeah. the speed that's required and then a startup is just like, let's run with that. Exactly. Startup, small, nimble. I can run faster. I can get an MVP out here in two weeks to demonstrate mm. this. It may not be fully coded or real data flowing through. We'll get that next month. Yeah. But yeah, speed is way quicker. Um, but unfortunately, they need to drip feed and pull from a bank. Content, guidance, compliance, yeah. regulation, whatever other layers are involved that are yeah. going to slow pain and create pain. But they need to add and adopt it all in. Um, for banks to run that fast it's just about legacy systems legacy workflow legacy culture yeah and and is that we're not going to pick on any of the, is, is that just a culture thing would you say or is, culture could, could they do it quicker if they really wanted to 
if leadership in these types of orgs really wanted to run faster and compete with upcoming neobanks, etc., they absolutely could work at building some sort of a um, innovation yeah. lab that's separate from the bank that can potentially run faster and create. Yes, absolutely. However, unfortunately, a lot of typical grandfather banks are stuck in the world mm. of, hey, we can only consult with PwC and Deloitte and whoever else that are going to come in-house to try and deliver some of this stuff. Project starts at 2 million with a roadmap, ends up at 6 million and still nothing's delivered. Yeah, right, they don't so get paid for delivery. <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe not. No, but that's the stories that evolve and yeah. that you hear, right, uh, that are common enough, I suppose. Yeah. Especially core banking systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, because it's my question is because I was reading a CIO survey last night and it's mm-hmm. like three quarters of the CIOs are talking about business strategy and evolving that and the next three years are going to be key for innovation redefining business strategy all along those lines yeah I found that weird that in what way like three years is going to be so important if, if they hadn't been thinking about that now as it's always, as, always been important yeah, yeah. like it's, it's an ongoing <laughs> process of yeah, you know your is. product is here if you don't innovate it and you don't listen to your customers and you're not finding out what their problem points are yeah. you're just going to move on yeah completely optionality they have options. They can move on to other products that are doing it better or is more suited to their workflow environment, how they want to go about completing that task or goal yeah. on a daily basis, behaviorally driven on their phone. They flick on, they want to do it in a particular way. People have choices. They can move on. And yeah. It's really important that the experience of that is drilled and nailed home to that behavioral flow. It, it, it's the same from an enterprise perspective. If you think about a nimble um, human on their phone going through yeah. those kind of tasks every day and then you flip it to the enterprise it's the same in there they're stuck on spreadsheets maybe their particular workflows we're trying to pull them out of spreadsheets into a UI to automate some of the workflows better the UX researcher whoever is running that piece of work has to literally sit with that human or multiples of mm. them daily, weekly to look at their workflow, how they're hopping between tools and tasks and flows and figuring out where their software sits as part of the stopgap or some area that they're going to automate slim or yeah. provide value on. Um, one of the most hardest things is to get humans out of spreadsheets <laughs> and to flip behavior. <laughs> and, you know, in a lot of workflows that we say we're going to automate in particular platforms, you'll automate to a point. You'll never yeah. automate the full end to end. Humans are humans. They'll default back to some part of a spreadsheet to complete some bit of the work and then they'll hop in. So it's it. that's where the research is so key. Yeah. Uh, where all those kind of workflows features have to be totally nailed out and reality checks are given to founders with a swift kick to say, hey, we can bring this so far from an to automate yeah. the end-to-end journey here. The final 20%, we're just not going to get away from it or a different solution or add-on is needed and we need to mm. think about it much more deeply. And is that why there's such an adoption of, of, of startup type culture in, say, the businesses you've worked in and the innovation centres you've worked? Yeah. Like, the companies that are coming through with innovative products, is, is that the real driver why people adopt them? That nimbleism, that, that ability to do things quicker, they're listening to their, their customers, they're looking at being yeah, prod- product first. Absolutely. And, and whereas customers now living in that world and that's what we want to buy. Yeah, it's research first. It's research driven. It's deep persona driven uh, in terms of key features and workflows, how they're presented, used what the outcomes of those flows are, mm. tasks daily, and how they marry and mesh those together 
with other workflows that that yeah. human is doing. It's a huge understanding of that end to end. I mean, I'm talking very broad, high level yeah, terms I'm, here, I'm, but um, yeah, it's all of that. And that's a continuous weekly, daily evolving workflow. It never ends. Yeah. You're constantly iterating and evolving and learning on those key features and flows. And, and when did that, so I, I, I've worked in tech recruitment for 17 years. So I've yeah. suddenly heard from, you know, went from project managers, BAs, into product, that yeah. type of evolution of people. Yeah. And then there was like UI, there was digital designers, there was like graphic <laughs> yeah. designers, suddenly became sure. UX and, and that kind of evolved into its own role. Ah, uh, yeah. What, yeah. What, what is, when did you start seeing that evolution, say in Ireland? Because you're obviously traveling when, you, you know, from Probably, 2015, yeah. like a mainstream when did the customer, that UX demand really come into it? I remember probably one of the first times where UX or will I even put it as wireframing was yeah. considered to be <laughs> needed or required from a leadership type yeah. individual was back around 2008-9 okay. when I started into some of that. I was trying to push it, of course, yeah. as a research flow and workflow to people who didn't even understand what user experience was. That's okay. Yeah. You know, everyone was being educated and learning as they went along. When it really became mainstream, probably 2012-13, when UX became a role. But unfortunately... The acronyms grew and yeah. around the role types and understanding of what the role is um, and responsibilities of the role and where it starts, yeah. stops. Still quite muddled today, probably in a lot of different orgs and different still ways. Still quite young then, really. It's only like 10 years old, nine years old. It is quite old, young, so, but yeah. it's also starting to pitter out a little bit too. Um, so kind of like if we look at the kind of curve around it, um, around that time, it was understood that a UX designer was going to design screens maybe with some research. My definition of a UX person is not a designer. UX people are not designers. They're researchers. Yeah. They bring concepts and ideation and they explore those with partner customers yeah. to a great depth until they figure out a solution to the problem and whether this feature or piece of software should exist or die. Mm. Do we go ahead or not? Are we really solving a problem is there monetization here? Yeah. Can it scale? Can it allow these type of enterprise customer type scale and grow? This is, you know, it's either going to be a beast and we need to build it or yeah. we kill it and move on. Because we validated that the proposition is not full. It's not going to scale the way we foresee, right? Yeah. So so that's what UX research is. It's researching those journeys, features, flows, um, how they should function and live and exist within a piece of software or not. It's not about how pretty they look. It's not about the design system yeah. yet. It's not about any of those aspects. It's pure research driven. That's done through uh, usability testing, quick mock-ups, very, it's running through multiple layers of workshop types with customer partners and trying to figure out how some of these experiences should flow. The last thing before you go. Yo. Trends that you see in UX research product at the moment, what do you think is going to stick in the next kind of six, 12 months, what's the, what's, what's the thing people should be looking out for? In UX, obviously AI stuff. Um, adapting that into adapting your models. Adapting that slightly in, in small incremental steps. It's going to be really important for UXers to self-educate, as it always is. Anyway. Yeah. Like the likes of me, I listen to podcasts every night. I do I'm non-stop self-educating, as you should be. But um, yeah, it's it's... It's going to be adopting and fig and tinkering with AI, really. You know, the yeah. usual stuff, jump into ChatGPT, figure out how it can facilitate or guide your research. Can it? You know, you don't fully trust it, but it'll give ideation yeah. back. And, you you know, as it matures, ChatGPT yeah. 4 onwards, etc., it's going to mature. So, um, 
yeah, tinkering with stuff, tinkering with plugins and Figma, for example, that can automate and spit out wireframes that are yeah. prompt-based. Loads of stuff happening there. Uh, there's new tools coming out like Galileo. I'm still waiting to get my hands on a demo of that as an actual automated product building tool yeah. based pr- prompt-based. There's going to be loads more of this happening. Over, so it's over adopting there. that technology. It's into, adopting that yeah. technology into actual design creation and Screen, screen production in Figma that is so laborious for so many designers that spend yeah. hours and nights behind Figma. <laughs> but that's all coming slowly. Yeah. It'll be slowly. It's not like, you know, the UX role is going to completely diminish parts of the design, product design role. It's going to be incrementally supporting the role uh, in small slivers where it's actually useful. Um, it's not this big whale that maybe some design people and UX people are fearful of yeah. um, AI. It's it's quite the opposite. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, Mark Swain, the UX guy. Thanks no for worries, taking okay. time uh, with Dublin Tech Talks. Uh, Great. Find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Mark Swain, hit me up. You'll find me there. Um, and you can find me on Twitter on UX UI guy. Uh, where else can you find me on Apple Podcasts? I've got my own podcast, UX podcast there too. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Thanks, man, for your time. That's great, man. Thanks Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye.